Welcome to A Matter of Principles, a podcast of the Association of Washington School Principals. Hello, everyone. I'm Jack Arend, Associate Director with the Professional Learning Team here at AWSP. We are excited to bring you Inclusion 360, a special podcast series that will bring the inclusion discussion full circle. Inclusion 360 is the culminating event wrapping up our year of learning, exploring, and implementing inclusionary best practices and diving deep into how to be an inclusionary leader. This work has been made possible by a generous grant from OSPI. Our AWSP team has assembled some of the most dynamic and sought after inclusion experts in the country to bring you this special six episode series. This podcast series will feature Ladera Korn, Keith Jones, Dan Habib, Lauren Katzman, Alfredo Artiles, and Glenna Gallo. And that's not all. On May 10th, you can meet this amazing team of experts for a free live webinar. You do not want to miss this event, so go to our website and register for the Inclusion 360 live webinar. For now, enjoy this podcast series. The Association of Washington School Principals is very excited for this new inclusionary project that we have going. We're calling it Inclusion 360. And we have gathered different voices from across the nation that are making a huge impact and doing incredible work around inclusion and inclusionary practices. So we are very excited today to welcome our guest, Lederick Horn. Lederick is coming to us from New Jersey today, and we're just excited to have some conversation with him around inclusion. But for those of you listening or, or watching right now, just a quick little intro of our special guest today. Uh, Lederick was diagnosed with a learning disability in the third grade, and he defies any and all labels. He's a dynamic spoken word poet, a tireless advocate for all people with disabilities. He's an inspiring motivational speaker and a bridge builder between learners and leaders across the United States and around the world. An African-American husband and father who serves as a role model for all races, genders, and generations. Mr. Horn, welcome and thanks for being with us. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me and hello to everybody that's listening in. Yeah, yeah. How is New Jersey this morning? Uh, we're we're a little cloudy today. It's been uh, it's been real rainy and and what have you, but I'm sure it's nothing like the rain that you guys get in your part of the country. You know, we are a rainy place, but I am looking out a window right now, and we have blue skies today. Okay. And we well, are enjoy it. About that. Yep, <laughs> spring is coming. Spring is coming. <laughs> So, Lederick, what we're going to do today is we're just going to have a conversation around this whole idea of school leaders working on inclusion and inclusionary practices. But let's just start out with this as so our, our people can get to know you. So the topic's inclusion. What keeps you up at night? Well, um, I, I am concerned about uh, what schools are going to look like when we come out of COVID, right? Um, here in New Jersey, we got hit very hard, very early on, and there was a real pressure to lock down. I know that's not true for all, all parts of the country. Um, but what I, what I am hoping is that through some of the, um, hybrid models that have been developed, um, there, there are some states I know who are working very, very hard in creating, um, sort of fully integrated, uh, uh, inclusive models of online learning that can be used throughout the state 
um, platforms, you know, other than just Zoom or what have you, but that allow for families to be more involved in the education and more supportive of students with disabilities. Um, I'm hoping we, we come out of this and, and um, we use it as an opportunity to sort of rethink, uh, reimagine what, what education can be. Um, I'm also, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a person of color. And so I've, I've lived through um, the past 12 months and seen a lot of upheaval and questioning and rethinking about social justice um, in our larger society. And I, and I also think about how that applies to our schools and supporting students with disabilities and really supporting all students. Um, and um, yeah, I, 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 I am both a poet and an, and an advocate, so I'm an optimist. Um, and I, I firmly think that we're gonna get through this and get through this all together. Um, and it's, it makes me feel good to know that there are initiatives like the one that, that you're a part of where people are actively seeking out answers and how do we um, you know, address the challenges in our schools and make them work better for everyone. Yeah, we are pretty fortunate here in Washington State where I shared with you before we started recording that we are part of the State Department of Ed, OSPI, as we call it out here in Washington, and this big inclusionary practices project grant. So that's what's making it possible to even get your voice to all of our members' ears today. And, and that's really exciting for us. And, and I think we would agree with you. We're all scratching our head about what's it going to look like on the other side. Yeah. And it's our opportunity to to not go back to what it was, but to reimagine and refresh and re-energize schools for each and every student. So right. we're we're excited, and we're we're just think this is a, a, a this is our shot. This yeah. is our shot to yeah. to make a difference. So again, I shared with you that our association, the School Principals Association, we serve school leaders, principals, assistant principals, anybody that's a school leader. So what would you say, Derek? What, what should school leaders do to improve inclusion within their buildings and their districts? Um, I, I, I firmly believe and, you know, I, I come into this work not as an educator, not as a, uh, a parent advocate, but as a person with a disability. And I was very fortunate that, um, number one, I was able to go to college and be very successful, but then uh, virtually just before I graduated from, from college, folks at the New Jersey Department of Education's Office of Special Education sort of discovered me. And um, two really great guys, uh, Bob Hall and Bill Freeman, poured a lot of uh, attention into me um, gave me a lot of opportunities to empower and engage the young people here in our state. Um, and so one of the things that I think is really important in thinking about doing this work um, is um, you know, making sure that uh, we have we build a culture of inclusion, a culture of inclusive practices within a within a district uh, and within a school. Um, the, uh, you know, and I, I really learned about this both in working, you know, here in the state of New Jersey, but also uh, one of my mentors is a guy named uh, uh, Bill Henderson, William, Dr. William Henderson, who uh, founded a school, ran a, was the principal of the school, was the O'Haren School. And uh, when he retired, they called it the, the Bill Henderson School up uh, uh, in Dorchester, just outside of Boston. Um, and he talks a lot in his work and his writing about the value of building a culture of inclusion. And so um, part of what that is, you know, and as a poet, I'm, I think of myself as a cultural worker, right? So um, 
the language, right? So making sure that all of us are using the same language. And so, you know, it is around like making sure that even the students who don't have a disability know what inclusion is, that all the parents, the crossing guards, the lunch ladies, right? Like everybody is tuned into the idea that we are building a school here that values all students. Um, it's also really important that um, we sort of uh, distinguish the difference between like mainstreaming and inclusion, right? And like, I firmly believe that not all inclusion is created equal. Like when I was a kid, you know, I was in a self-contained special ed class and there was this sort of first push to try to get me to connect with everybody else in the school. And it was more about plopping me in the same room with everybody else, right? Not around making sure that I had a clear understanding about what my disability was, that I understood that there was a, a, um, a menu of supports and services that I could use to tackle any problem in my education. Um, there weren't um, sort of the, the open co collaboration between my, the, the educators that I was working with and whose classes I was in throughout the day. None of that really happened. And so, you know, one of the things that when I, when I go into a school, whether I'm asked to do an in-service or, um, or uh, uh, you know, or just a, a, a presentation um, or work with students, um, when we start talking about inclusion, one of the things that I really look for is, have you created space within the day, within the month, within the week for educators to collaborate with each other, right? Because um, it's not just, again, about everybody being in the same room um, or, or having two teachers in that room, right? But a big piece of it is around collaboration. And for the teachers that I've seen who are really passionate about this work, even if they don't have specialized time set aside to meet with their colleagues, it becomes meetings at Starbucks, right? Or, or I can imagine now, you know, like the, the meetings over Zoom where uh, folks are saying, you know, um, Lederick's a great kid, but in my class, he's doing this, right? And then a, another teacher can say, well, here's how I deal with that behavior or that challenge that he's having academically. And so therefore, those educators are able to learn from each other. Yeah. Absolutely. I really liked how you talked about the importance of a shared vision, shared vocabulary. So we're all kind of steering our ship towards the same direction in service of kids and in service of families and communities and just the awareness around what inclusion is and what it's not um, and, for each and every kid. Yeah. And it also it, it what it allows for and what I've learned is what it allows for is it, it also allows for you to get more support from the entire community, you know. Um, there's never a feeling like there's enough time, right? There's never a feeling like from many school leaders that they have enough resources, right? So being able to have parents be able to play more of a role, um, the larger community, everybody being of support. Um, you know, and, I, and I've, seen, I've seen situations, like I remember going to Dr. Henderson's school before he retired um, and um, meeting students, right? both students who had disabilities and didn't have disabilities who were actively providing supports for other students. And this was at an elementary school, you know? Um, but it's because they just, they understood, you know, like, yeah, he's got a hard time with reading or, you know, he gets a bit distracted, you know? And so they were able to provide that support, but it's because there was that shared vision and that shared language. And it wasn't only shared among the staff, but it was a, it was a part of just how we do business, how we support each other in, in that school. And just how it becomes like interwoven into the fabric of that school or the entire school community or, or hopefully the entire district, you know, they're just 
you know, there shouldn't be a pocket of excellence here or there. It should just be throughout the, the system, uh, as especially with students supporting students. Well, well, the whole, you know, the whole way up and down the system, people yeah. being aware. And, and like I said, that same shared vision. I like that a lot. So as I was getting the chance to meet you and learn about you, part of the things that I learned and I shared in the intro is that you were diagnosed with a learning disability early on in, in third grade. And I guess my next question to you is, you know, what role should people with disabilities have in supporting inclusion within our schools and districts? What do you think? Yeah, um, I, I think that it is important to frame all of this work as it's still being a push for civil rights, right? For the rights of people with disabilities. And um, both me as an individual with disability, um, and then, you know, as, uh, you know, as a student with a disability and then as an adult, I am able to do all that I can do now um, because I, I am able to benefit from the work of people, not only from the civil rights movement, but also the disability rights movement. So I was born in uh, 1977, you know, IDEA, you know, it, it, it you know, creates special education in 1975. So it's like they knew I was coming, right? Um, I graduate from high school in, in uh, 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 1996. You know, we get the Americans with Disability Act in 1990. And all of these sort of supports have followed me throughout my life. Um, we're not done yet, you know. And, and I'm saying all of that to say that I, I still firmly believe, like, one of the ideas to come out of the disability rights movement is that there should be nothing about us without us. And so in thinking about how you do this work, I think it is very important that we include the voices of people with disabilities into this work. So who, so who is that? So that means in part, we should be looking you know, at our school boards um, and, and making sure that we have folks with disabilities who have a voice in that leadership, real meaningful voice. Um, but I firmly also, I've, you know, I've, I've worked with school and talked with them you know, about creating um, sometimes they can be thought of as, as clubs um, or advisory boards, but young people with disabilities should be having a voice in, at the very least, evaluating, like, you know, as, as you're putting in new practices and, and trying out new things, you know, we should be talking to the end user about whether or not this is working. Um, and if it's not evaluation, then I definitely think having a voice in um, and, and, you know, a seat at the table. And, and, you know, if you're at an elementary school level, maybe, maybe you know, it's rough to have a really, really young person to be able to sit there and to, to, to have a conversation with a bunch of adults about how some things should be imp implemented. But think about those recent high school grads, right? Think about local uh, college students who have disabilities, um, bringing those folks in to have, to be a part of the conversation about, um, you know, what your school could look like. Because, it is, it is so valuable um, to have someone who has actually been on that other side of the desk, being able to talk and, and have a conversation about how our school should be, should be made better. Um, and so that takes some investment in young people, right? Like um, one of the things that I've pushed for is that we have to, we have to make sure that we're using accessible language, right? You know, in, in uh, education and particularly in the realm of special education, we throw around a lot of acronyms and everybody kind of acts like we all know what's being said, but I'm sure that there's, there's, you know, you could be sitting in a meeting and someone could throw one out and you just kind of like nod your head and keep going, right? So, you know, 
having a, a sheet of paper with some of the most used acronyms, some of the some of the the, the um uh the terms and the and the problems that are are you know that the the district is wrestling with spending some time just sort of prepping that young person so that when they sit there at the table they can really really have a meaningful role and really have a voice but um i'm saying all that to say that you know i think i think we should always be thinking about having the voice of people with disabilities be at that table and we i think sometimes it's you know because of like pressure you know it can be uh, legal pressure or what have you we we think about making sure that we have parents right as to having a voice and and having representation as this work is being done but i think it's also really important that we make sure that we have those youth and those young adults with disabilities is also having a voice there and then there's a an extension of this you know like i'm assuming that many of the people who are going to be listening to this are going to be people who set policies who uh, actually have the ability to hire folks um <sighs> Inclusion, I think another step to think about inclusion is that we should also think of uh, schools as a place of employment, right? So um, I don't see enough teachers with disabilities in our schools. I don't see enough school administrators with disabilities working in our schools. Um, having that representation matters. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, and what I know, because I work with enough teachers, is that if you create a space where uh, they feel safe, you know, sometimes in my my workshops and my activities, I'll start having teachers when I talk about my own story, will start raising their hand and then they start self-disclosing like, yeah, I was in special ed. Yeah, I've got ADHD. Right. Um, so we've got some folks with disabilities who are working in our schools, but not all of them may necessarily feel safe to be out as people with disabilities. But thinking about that inclusion as, as also an extension of it as being, who are we employing, right? Um, and again, having that representation helps to have a voice at the table. Thank you for that. You know, I wanna go back a little bit to where you talked about having a seat at the table or, you know, uh, perhaps the, the student who's being served on the IEP, what's their voice during those meetings? And, and we're starting to learn and see more of student-led IEP meetings yeah, and yeah. students inviting their peers in to share what their peers notice. And um, when I was leading a school building, that was not the norm. And I, I don't even know if it's the norm right now in all of our schools, but it's starting to be something where th that door is opening and it's exciting for the student, it's exciting for their peers, and it's really impactful to the teachers and the parents. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Of course, if we're creating a document and a plan for a student, let the student be there, but let them have a voice or or run the meeting. So that, that's been a very exciting piece that, that we are just starting to, I want to say, uncover here. Yeah, and I, and I will, you know, there are so many different models out there around self-directed or student-directed IEPs. And what I, I tend to point people to is uh, the Zarrow Center for Learning Enrichment at the University of Oklahoma. So uh, the Zarrow Center... Uh, I would encourage everyone to take a look at their website because they have really amazing resources, um, uh, transition assessments, um, just uh, all sort of things. And, and many of them are grant funded and they're free for folks to use or there's very low cost. But one of their their um, their trainings is the, the self-directed IEP, which I think is an 11. It has a, 11 different modules where you can train a young person just to understand what the IEP meeting is, what their role is, 
Sure. Yeah. So even in my even in my own IEP meetings, I, I didn't really know why I was there. Um, no one had really taken the time to explain to me what an IEP meeting was or, or any of that. And um, so I, I and I know that there's still a lot of that feeling that happens for our young people. So giving them an opportunity to to learn what the IEP is, to learn what their role is. I don't think a lot of young people realize that the IEP team is their team and they have the ability to invite people on. Um, uh, but all that takes, again, it takes training, right? And so having something like uh, the Zero Centers module to bring students through. Um, and then I have been working with the state of Nevada for, for probably over 13 years. Um, and they have a, a youth leadership transition summit that they do every year where they fly in teams of young people with disabilities and adult allies from all over the state to come to a, a multi-day event. And they get an opportunity to learn uh, self-advocacy skills to learn about what their um, possible outcomes are as far as transition, to connect with agencies. Um, but they do a lot of action planning work too. And over the years, um, we've been able to, to uh, build a, a strong cohort of uh, youth and young adult leaders in the state. The state recently hired 25 of those young people to now go back into their, their own high schools or high schools in their area. And what are we doing? We're training young people how to run their own IEP meetings. Um, yeah, and so the, it's, I, I, I think it, it is really something that folks should, should consider doing. Um, and, and I think it can be very challenging early on, but um, rethinking, reimagining what that IEP meeting can be, um, like, like you said in, in setting up the question, um, it, it pays off for everyone. And, and that's, and that's true for inclusion, right? We hear that, right? That that uh, it helps to um, not only make the experience of being an educator feel better, but we see improved academic performance from everybody in that building. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the self-directed IEPs, I'm all for it. That's great. I want to go back a little bit. Um, we talked about, or you mentioned, sometimes it's difficult to, for the um, person that's not in education to understand all of the ed speak and jargon that we use and acronyms. My goodness, do schools love acronyms? And so I, I guess my question would be, hey, one of the things we talked about was, you know, teachers and schools and administrators, we love to, we get kind of caught up in our own ed speak. We have lots of acronyms and things we call things that not the average person or family is really going to be in tune with. And so I'm, I'm curious what you would say as to what districts could do to help students being served on IEPs and, and their families really embrace all the supports that special education can be providing for them. Yeah. So um, in, in working with schools, one of the things that I always encourage them to do, if they come across a family um, that is reluctant to um, have their young person uh, start taking advantage of supports in special ed. So just, first of all, think about um, what informs that decision, right? So, you know, when I went through special ed, it was a separate room at the end of the hall. Um, I didn't get much interaction with, with the other students in my school. And so, you know, if you've got a, a parent in your district, they may still, still be thinking like that is what special ed is in, in, in your school. Um, and so I have seen school districts who have um, uh, uh, one used video very effectively, right? And so um, you know, being able to record testimonies from students, from families, to say, 
you know, I was reluctant and then I, you know, I took the step and this is what the experience was for my child and for my family. Um, I think, unfortunately, the legacy of special education for so many folks um, is still framed in a very negative way. And so the earnest ends up being on school districts to say, no, 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 in this district, this is how we do things. And so video can be very powerful. Um, there's a, a school district in um, uh, West, West Ellis, uh, West Milwaukee School District that I've worked with over this past year. And they've been doing a really good job of capturing the stories of families, of young people, um, of educators who are doing work around inclusion and using those, that, those videos as a way to be able to, again, shift that culture uh, of inclusion in the district. Um, uh, you know, one of my good friends, Dan Habib, has made a, a whole host of amazing, uh, amazing films that wrestle with a lot of disability issues in our in our um, in our schools in our country. Um, I, I'm in a few documentaries. Uh, one of them is Normal Isn't Real, um, which is a documentary that looks at the uh, the lives of young adults with learning disabilities and ADHD. And um, for a lot of these filmmakers, what I'm seeing is they're 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 setting up filmings, uh, 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 viewings of their films. Uh, you invite a community out, you play that film, and then we can start having conversations about disability, right? Um, uh, you know, it can start uh, sort of chipping away at the defenses that, that a lot of our families or our young people people have. Um, and again, it's about making a cultural shift. And so I'm, I'm a big supporter of using cultural tools. Um, and then I also think that, again, having young people with disabilities as, as being a part of the work is also, you know, being able to have those liaisons within your school, you know. Um, I think, you know, like one of the cool things about special ed, when I get to work with kids, like you got these big, like big personalities, right? And like, you know, so, sometimes no filter, just I'm going to say whatever is on my mind, right? And so, you know, being able to like, you could just imagine having a community meeting and having some, some young people with disabilities who are at that meeting and giving testimonies about what special ed was like for them. And so if, if, um, if you're able to have your whole community there, that's great. If you're able to capture some of that and put it on camera, I think that's some of the things that we can do to help make folks more open um, to, to, to getting support from special education. And then the, the other piece, the last piece I'll just say about this is, again, I also think it's really important that we listen to our community. So if you're hearing a lot of that uh, uh, reluctancy from, from families, from young people, you should also just look and, and say that, well, maybe they're actually making an evaluation of the quality of special education and supports in your district. And maybe they're, they're pointing to something where, where reform needs to happen. So interesting that you say that. You know, that this project we're working with you on right now is Inclusion 360, a whole roundtable, a whole view, a circular view of people that are um, helping to make impacts and just what what is this idea of inclusion and, and hearing from lots of different voices, which kind of ties into our conversation. A couple questions go about seats at the table, right? Listening and uh, having the community voice be loud as well. I love the idea of a kind of almost like a town hall meeting to talk about inclusion and those types of things. And and we are thankful. We also now can call Dan Habib our friend here in the School Principals Association. And we have. We've taken his videos and we've done a whole five-part series with him. And gosh, just 
the learning that we've all had around viewing those videos, discussing those videos, and then letting those videos be part of school communities, uh, we're, it's very powerful. And we're really hopeful for what that will support our school leaders in being able to begin conversations around. I think it's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious and I am so excited to hear your answer to this question. How does the intersection of race and disability affect the way communities of color access service? So um, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it is a big one. <laughs> So, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind when when you ask that is, I again, I think back to my own experience going through special education, um, diagnosed when I was nine years old uh, and initially placed in a resource room and then into a self-contained special ed classroom. And I can say that the overwhelming majority of the kids who were in that classroom were black boys, uh, black and brown boys. Um, and... Uh, and even for the handful of white folks uh, who were who were in there, white students who were in there, many of them were, um, you know, struggling economically. Um, and I think that the, there's a sort of a history that we have to acknowledge around um, the the way in which our schools have shifted as far as uh, racial segregation and how some of that legacy has been carried on and and played out in who gets. Uh, uh, identified with a disability who gets placed in special education. Um, and I, I really wish when I was a young person, there was more of an open dialogue around that uh, when I was a kid. I remember being, um, you know, being a, a teenager, being nine, uh, 17 years old and sort of going through an identity crisis, trying to wrestle with um, what it meant to be a student who was in special ed, what it meant to have a disability, what it meant to be a black person in this country. And there weren't enough educators and folks who were sort of presenting information to help me wrestle with, um, you know, with these dual identities. Um, so um, one of the things that I've done is I created a video series called uh, Celebrating Black History and People with Disabilities. I thought it was really important that uh, I took an opportunity to be able to say that you know, there are awesome people out here who are folks uh, of color and there are there are also people with disabilities. Um, and I, growing up, just never really saw, you know, uh, uh, disability framed in a way that sort of connected to me culturally. Um, and I think that maybe if I had seen a bit more of that, right, it would have helped me to be more open to seeking out supports, to 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 embracing disability as being a part of who I am. Um, I, I know now, I was just talking to my stepfather and uh, him and I were, were discussing how there are still very large pockets of the black community who uh, are reluctant to seek out medical support. To number one, go to a doctor, let alone like get a vaccine or what have you. So much of that comes from a very long and, and um, unfortunate and tragic history of people of color being misused by our medical system. And so when you deal with like uh, 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 special education, it's this interesting intersection of like disability, which sort of like plays out of the medical model and then our education policies. And again, people of color haven't always been uh, best served by, by many of our schools. And uh, I, again, I firmly believe that all of our schools should be 
crafting messages that speak directly to people of color, right? Um, um, you know, I was, I was just invited in to do a talk in Iowa and uh, uh, by a parent center out there. And the, the lady who was on the, the phone with me was very clear, like, we've got a lot of white folks in this office, right? But we're trying to reach out to communities of color. We're doing this great event, this conference. They're asking me to be at this conference. And I said, look, I will record a video saying, you know, hey, folks, I want you to be a part of this, right? And that, and I know that, that um, you know, that I can come with a degree of cultural competency in my message, right? And say to, to a community, hey, the, these are services and supports that I think will be able to benefit your, uh, benefit your community. And so I think all of our school districts should be doing that, right? Um, I've been actively encouraging people um, to look at, um, again, board representation, hiring practices, doing all that they can to build out more diverse teams. Uh, we all know that you know, part of the advantage of diversity is that it allows you to tackle problems in, in different ways. And so you know, um, there in the state of Washington, think, you know, when it comes time to hire new people, thinking, thinking about making sure that your leadership team is diverse as possible um, will help to have people at the table who can, who can speak to different communities and particularly to communities of color. Um, because, yeah, there's still, there's still a lot of mistrust uh, that we all need to break through. Um, and part of that, uh, that, that mistrust gets broken down by being able to utilize people who have the language and the lived experience and the um, the social capital, right, to be able to speak to diverse communities. Yeah, and th thank you for that that response. And I, I'm as as you're sharing and I'm and I'm listening. I, I for me, it just goes back to: are are we developing a culture where every kid has a sense of that they belong there? that they belong there and that people see them and that people know all of them, not just the students sitting in the desk for, uh, for math class, but do yeah. they know all of them? So um, really, really appreciate that. Thank you for that. So I got a couple more questions for you. Man, this sure. is fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, okay, number one, we'll have two. <laughs> What, what are you reading right now? Like, what's on your oh, nightstand? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Um, I, I have I've been sort of uh, taking a deep dive in um, uh, trying to, to find solutions to many of the problems that, that we've been talking about today. So some of what I've been going back to is like um, uh, stuff from the 60s, right? Like uh, James Baldwin got me through 2020. Um, so the, the fire next time and uh, some of his more public speeches, um, issues related to race relations, um, to the arts and the role of the black artists in society, what it means to be an American. Um, um, uh, let's see. I've been a, a big podcaster. I don't know if any of this helps y'all, but I, you know, I've, I've also been keeping an eye on just sort of the business climate here in America. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if any of that's open to your audience. <laughs> that's great. I, I, that's, okay. that's a for Jack question because okay, I just yeah. don't know what people are reading, right? Yeah. Whether it's for fun or for yeah. learning, yeah. whatever. I just, I don't know. My, yeah. my next you know what? I have, Jack, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm uh, really transparent, 
Um, and, and you can put this in there. 2020 was very emotionally challenging for me. And so I have more than anything been working really hard to just keep my energy high, right? Um, so my day starts out with a whole lot of uh, self-care. It is medica- meditation. It is prayer. Um, I have a playlist of high energy songs that I start playing when I'm brushing my teeth. And, um, and I'm just working to keep my energy high, right? And, and I think that is also really valuable advice for all the folks listening to this is that um, you are a human being, right? And we have gone through very challenging times as of late. And so we have to make sure we are taking care of ourselves as human beings, eating well, getting enough sleep, exercising when we can, and uh, just making sure that we're surrounding ourselves with, uh, you know, with a circle of support, uh, people who are loving and caring. Um, because this work is not easy work, you know, just in our conversation. I mean, I framed some of this up as being sort of an extension of the disability rights movement and the civil rights movement. I mean, you know, it takes it takes a lot of positive energy to be able to do that kind of work. And so um, I think caring for yourself is really important. So I've been I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing a lot of that. I may go out on a run uh, once this is all over. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you for sharing that. You're right. It's, it's been challenging for everybody in very different ways, right? And sometimes we can end our day thinking we didn't do enough or um, why aren't we doing more or whatever that might be. And I have a friend that says, man, yeah. your best is good enough. Your best yeah. is good enough. Just let yourself know that. All right. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. Last question for you. Okay. So you, uh, what's one thing you would tell a school leader who is either already started this journey of inclusion and inclusionary practices in their building, or they know they, they, they are going to launch into that. What's one, it's okay what's one to bit start of advice you can tell them? Right. I think, it's, I think it's, 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 it's valuable to think of what you're doing as a long game, right? And um, I am not saying that uh, there is not value in speed, um, and I think even when saying being uh, starting out small and small places, um, you should still come to this work with a lot of passion and a lot of energy. Um, but, um, you know, sort of beginning, experimenting, um, working through through different problems and then reiterating. Um, but but uh, picking the, the sort of the pockets, the small places and slowly chipping away at doing the work. Um, you know, I. You know, even with the self-directed IEPs, um, the, the work that we're doing in the state of Nevada, those folks are going in and they're working with a very small group of students to initially begin that practice with the idea that we can build the tools and, you know, give them a rhythm for how, how the work should be done. And then they can start expanding that out to all the students who are on IEPs within the school. Um, and then I also think that it's really important and, you know, anyone who's done any work in, in inclusion and studied inclusive practices will, will hear this, um, is that the work you're doing is not just for folks with disabilities, but it really is for all your students. Um, I, you know, I love telling my story and looking out at an audience of folks who, you know, may not have disabilities, but you'll start seeing folks you know, recognizing that they struggled in reading when they were in school, right? Or they struggle with math. 
And the way human beings are built is that all of us exist, like all of our abilities exist on different continuums. And so bringing in supports, um, the use of accommodations, yes, they will benefit the students who have uh, diagnosed disabilities, but we'll find, you'll find that there'll be a benefit to everybody, um, everybody in that school. So beginning, beginning, you know, uh, sort of picking your places, starting small, but, but considering that you're playing a long game, um, and then remembering that the work you're doing is for the benefit of everybody. Yeah, oh, great, that is fantastic. Well, Mr. Ladericorn, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I am so thankful I got to have a conversation with you. Um, all the people listening and watching, whatever that's gonna end up being, are just, they're gonna grab on to things that we've talked about and give them hope and encouragement to, um, to like you said, start small, because this is a long game. It's a long game. Yeah. Jack, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to make this work. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Enjoy your day in New Jersey. And um, thank you again for being part of this project. Want some support with your inclusionary practices work? Head to our website, awsp.org, where you will find a ton of resources, many of which were talked about in this podcast. You will find on-demand courses, videos to watch with your staff, workshops, articles, podcasts, and more. Can't find what you're looking for? Please reach out to us and we'll be happy to help. How about some professional learning that's relevant and fun? At AWSP, we believe adult learning should be fun and engaging, just like it should be for the students in your building. We promise to never deliver death by PowerPoint and bore you with sit and get learning. You know, a good friend of mine said, professional learning equals self-care. And self-care, that's how you get your power back. So at AWSP, we are all about supporting you and partnering with you on your professional leadership development. You know, one size doesn't fit all. So we provide a number of different ways for principals, assistant principals to stay sharp and improve their skills. We offer content for interns, assistant principals, and principals in all stages of their career. We do that in person when we can, and of course, online. From our cohort-based launching school leadership and building effective leadership networks to our video workshops, we've got something bound to be right up your alley. Visit our website for more information on engaging and dynamic professional learning.
This series has been made possible through a generous grant from the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction Inclusionary Practices Project. We hope you've enjoyed this special podcast series on inclusionary practices for the school leader. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.